So would you look down on your passage with me, Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Let's pray. Father, now as we come before your word, help us, Lord. Um, Give us eyes to see, ears to hear. God, give us guidance. And Lord, I pray that if there are anyone here who is tempted to build their house on the sand, Lord, I pray that they would get a vision for Jesus, for for the good news of his work, that we can find our righteousness in him, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would not be tempted to play Christianity, where we just kind of go through the motions. But Lord, give us the faith to truly not just believe, but to know, to know you, to worship you, to follow Christ. Be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I know that I may sound like a broken record, but I just feel like I can't not talk about this a little bit with the passage we're considering. Um, Something that is indicative of most youth ministries is this very alarming statistic and rate that many kids grow up in the church and they go to their youth group to only within just a couple of years of them graduating and either going to college or entering the workforce, abandon the faith. Abandon the faith. And uh, it's about seven years ago where I actually got hired to be the youth pastor of this church. But seven years ago when I was applying to a number of churches, I remember every single church asking me this question, something along the lines of, well, Aaron, if you haven't heard, but this many kids leave the faith every year, what would you do to combat that? And I even know, sometimes I look at other churches' websites and I see their youth ministry page and and they'll even say something. Most youth ministries um, see an alarming statistic of kids walking away from the faith. And we at this church are doing everything we can to abolish that or something like that. I've probably said something like that at some point. And there's a sense in which, um, you know, there's a lot of factors to that. I really appreciate there's this book that came out, and it's just really research. It's called Sticky Faith. And these researchers went to young people who grew up in church and who continue to go in church. And they say, like, hey, what, what, what was your upbringing like? Tell us, what was it like for you? Like, why are you still following the Lord? And let me just give you a few as to why um, these researchers kind of boiled down to, like, Generally speaking, when youth groups or churches did these things, the percentages of students to continue walking with Christ 
was greatly increased. Uh, the, the first thing, they were taught the gospel. They actually knew what the gospel is all about. That we are sinners, and by nature and by choice, and because of our sin, we deserve God's righteous judgment. But the good news is this, that Jesus, in our place, he lived the life that we couldn't live. He died on the cross for our sins. And then if we put our faith in Christ and what he has done, and we turn from our sins, we can be forgiven. We can be uh, recipients and heirs of resurrection and eternal life, just like Christ himself has promised there's a lot to the gospel, but, but what they notice is that people who actually continue to walk with the Lord is because they, want, they were taught the gospel, which makes me just so confused as to, do these other kids didn't hear that? What were they doing in youth group? Right? I, I can go on a long tangent about that. But let me, let me say a few other things, too, is that students were actually taught the faith. They were taught theology, which means that someone took the time to open up the Bible, preach on certain passages, explain what the Bible teaches. You know, sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm a little concerned at churches, you know, uh, you go to high school and they treat you, they, they, you know, they teach you all these kind of complicated math formulas, but yet you come to church and, you know, Noah had an ark and, they, and the animals went in two by two. You know, like, do we challenge young people with the scriptures? Do we teach them theology? Do you know that there's like so much to this book and there's so many things that we can be learning that forever there's a lifelong process of learning our faith. A few other um, trends they notice of students who continue to walk with the Lord is that they had adult believers who were invested in their lives. They had relationships with adults, people who would engage in them, who would take them out to coffee, who would um, show up to their basketball games, who would care about them. Um, A a few other things uh, where the church really valued the word of God, where they were encouraged to read scripture, where it was preached faithfully. Um, A few other things. And what I find about interesting about that whole book, Sticky Faith, here's the thing. It is everything that God's word already prescribes. It's not like you read that book and you think like, okay, this is what I got to do. It's like, if you, if you were just faithful to the Bible in the first place, you'd be there. Now, why do I share all this? Because even, my, even me, myself, when I grew up going to church and going to youth group, I cannot tell you how many people I can point to right now where there is no evidence that they walk with Jesus. Friends of mine who I used to, they were right next to me, eyes closed, they were singing, we were doing devotions together. I heard them talk about Jesus. Looking at their life now, 10, 15 years later, there's no evidence that they know Christ at all. Even being the youth pastor here for seven years, there are students who I've seen in these chairs who have served, you know, who've gone to the retreats, the mission trips, who've said all the right things, I look at their life right now and I have no evidence that they walk with Christ. All of this really shows us and what this passage is is teaching us is that we are all so very liable to self-deception. We're so liable to having a faith that is really not truly grounded in Christ. 
If I could tell you one thing, um, one warning, this is, this is from Aaron's wisdom and my understanding of, of the church and of youth groups and all this thing. If there's one thing I can really encourage you and just give you a warning, here it is. Do not build your faith off of your relationships with people. Do not build your faith off of the relationships you have with other Christians. It is too easy to kind of take on the culture of Christians and of the faith because the people you're close to, your friends, happen to all go to the same building too. I see it all the time with young people, but I see it all the time with adults. This is the place where we find our, our, our social outlet in a way. And, and one of the things that we just want to continue to push people towards, yes, Christian friendships are good. I'm glad we can come here. We can have fun and hang out. But as we'll see in the next two weeks here, to truly have Christ as the solid rock of our life means kind of what we just sang a few minutes ago. Foes may hate me, friends disown me. Come disaster, scorn, and pain, right? Like, to follow Christ and to have him as the firm foundation in your life means at times it's going to be hard, that it might be lonely, that the church you're at, it might be kind of weird and it smells like old coffee. But these people love Christ, and so do I. And so with all of this, this is a big, long introduction. I realize that because this passage is so important because it warns us against the marks of a false faith, of an empty faith, of a faith that is only built off of tradition, of the externals, a faith that is built off of just because my friends or I grew up believing these things. And I think this is a, this is a passage that I wish more people would think about. And so with all of that said, let's go ahead and jump into this passage and let me do a little bit of context. Do me a favor. Look back down in your Bibles in chapter 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So Jesus is ending his sermon and he's kind of giving us this illustration of there's two paths. There's going to be this wide path that most people in humanity are on. It's the easy, the normal trends. It's where the heart naturally takes you. But you need to be on the narrow path. When we looked at that passage, we looked at uh, the reference in, in Luke, and Jesus says, strive to stay on the narrow path because what we see is that there are false teachers out there. There are people who look really good, who say the right things, but really all they're trying to do is make the Christian life into something that's really, it's not. And they say, hey, you can believe in God, but still do everything that you still want to do. And Jesus says, beware of these people, right? And so he gives them illustrations about, you know, two different, two different types of trees, and you'll notice a tree by its fruits. And ultimately, he comes down to this passage, and this is probably the biggest warning we have in Jesus in all of the Gospels. And I think, guys, to be honest, this warning is primarily directed at religious people who go to church, who look like Christians, who talk like Christians, but who, in fact, really don't know Christ. 
And so tonight, what I want to do, like we'll said, we'll look at these two passages next week as well on the positive side. Um, three kind of um, what I would call three marks of a false faith, of a false conversion, okay? Three marks of a false conversion that we need to be warned about. So look down again at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay. Okay. First mark of a false conversion is that it is not enough to simply have a confession of faith. Okay. Let's hear that again. It is not enough to simply have a confession of faith. As you all know, I'm a big golfer. And one of the, the cool things about golf is you run into random people. You're always paired up with someone new. Very rarely do you just go and play by yourself. So a couple of weeks ago, I ran into a guy. And he was about my age. And he was really nice, cool guy. We're getting along. I was better than him, so that made me feel pretty good, too. Um, and I don't, I don't share this story to judge him or to make myself feel better. It's just, just, just the reality of it. So... I noticed by the way he was talking. I noticed by, you know, some of the the lifestyle things. I noticed how he talked about partying, and uh, he likes to drink a lot of alcohol, um, in word and deed, I noticed. Um, And I'm sitting there, maybe on the sixth hole, and we're, like, starting to buddy-buddy. We're talking, and it seems pretty relaxed. And I'm, I'm praying, Lord, how can I talk to this guy? Maybe I can invite him to Easter. Maybe I'll try to get his number and I'll go golfing with him again and start a friendship. And when I was like on the eighth hole, um, one of the elders from the church had called me and he asked me some quick question. And this guy let me share his car with him. Um, so we're sitting, he's like right next to me. And I mentioned something about, oh, hey, I haven't seen that in church in a while, but we'll figure it out. So I, mean, I just mentioned the word church. And this guy, as I get up the phone, says, hey, you go to church? See, yeah, actually, you know, I'm a pastor. So I kind of feel like the Lord is answering my prayer a little bit. I want to bring up the faith somehow. And here is a phone call. I get to naturally bring out church. And, and he says to me, he's like, oh, hey, man, I've I believed my whole life. I went to Christian school growing up. I haven't been to church in like, you know, probably 10 years, but I believe it. I believe God. And somewhere along the line, I don't know who, what, where, when I, how, But it was communicated to this guy that all you really have to do is say you believe in God and you can live however you want. But as long as you still truly believe, then you're good. What I call that is easy believism. Nominalism. To be nominal in something means to have the name of something and nothing else. It's like the ultimate poser. And what Jesus is teaching here, when he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Do you notice how he says that twice? What is really, that's like actually a great profession of faith. To recognize Jesus, not as, hey, Lord, but Lord, Lord. What it really shows is this person who is coming before Jesus has perfect, orthodox, confessional faith. They believe the right things about Jesus. They understand what is happening on the cross. 
They know God's word. They know all of the theology. They know the right things to say. What does Jesus say about them now? These people will not enter the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is saying is that it is not enough to simply know the right things. Do me a favor, keep your finger here. Scroll over to the right a little bit and go to the, maybe one of those famous passages in the Bible. John chapter 3. Maybe you don't need to turn there, but uh, John chapter 3, verse what? What do you think I'm going to? 16. Let me read it for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, what? Believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, do me one one other favor. Go to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. All right, Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Look at verse 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. All right, you can go back to Matthew chapter 7. I want to highlight those two verses because even when I was an early Christian, I remember, and sometimes you'll still see them, there's this thing called gospel tracts. And it's like a little pamphlet, and it's like five or six pages, and you go up to someone who maybe is not a Christian, and you, you pass out these tracts, right? And it would have this like basic kind of Romans Road understanding of the gospel, and it would quote usually John 3.16 or Romans chapter 10, verse 9. And it says, just believe. Just believe. But here's the question, guys. In John 3.16, when it says, whoever believes, what does it really mean to believe? What does it really mean to simply confess with your mouth and believe in your heart? Is it simply something just like, okay, yeah, I believe that's true. Good, I'm in. Well, let me be very clear. The Bible means a whole lot more when it talks about believing than simple mental assent. One more passage, okay? I promise. James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Clearly the Bible, when it talks about belief, it has more than simply kind of agreeing Sorry, you can't find the verse. Where are you? 
Thank you. No, that's not it. Um, sorry, one second. Oh, I'm sorry. I was right. I was so close. All right, do me a favor. Go ahead and look at verse 18. James chapter 2, verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. More like translation there is like good for you, right? You believe God is one. Good for you. Even the demons believe and shudder. Okay. So what James is saying there is like, oh, you believe that God raised him? Good for you. Even the demons believe that. There is something more to following Christ and being in his kingdom than simply saying, yes, this is true. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. Many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord. That means that they knew the right answers. They had the right theology. But there's a disconnect between actually saying you believe something and actually knowing it. I'm sure we all, you know, heard the good old baseball card analogy. You can know all the stats about a player, but do you actually know that player? Because it's really, really easy to go to small groups, to read your Bible, to come to youth group, to say you believe in these things, but not know Christ personally for yourself. The whole life of the kingdom begins with an admittance that I don't have what it takes to follow Jesus. I am spiritually poor. I need grace. And to know that that poverty is met with Christ. And so one of the one of just the warnings I want to give young people again and again and again, like yes, know your Bible, read your Bible, know the right things, but know that it's not enough. It's not enough. Don't don't be like the person 10 years from now. I haven't been in church in 10 years, but I, I still believe all that stuff. No, you don't. At least be honest where you stand. Okay? Let's read on a little bit. That was a long point, I know. Do me a favor, look at verse 21. But the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. We'll explain that next week. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy your name? and cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name. Now here is what is very interesting about this passage, is that apparently there are these people who have done miraculous things in the name of Christ, and guess what? Jesus says, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. You see, one of the things that's very interesting about the Gospels is we have this character named Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot was one of the 12 disciples who actually uh, betrayed Jesus uh, the night before he was crucified. Does anyone know for how much money? 30 pieces of, of silver. Good, right? But what's very interesting about Judas is that he would do some of the miracles with the other apostles, the disciples. He would go on these missionary trips and he would probably have 
done things like uh, healed someone, raised someone who was, you know, lame. And it's interesting, even the Apostle Paul in, in the book of Philippians talks about how some preach Christ out of selfish ambition just because they, they want the glory and the fame for themselves. And Paul says, at the end of the day, who cares if Christ is being proclaimed? What is so very interesting about this little verse, what Jesus is saying, is that one, it is not enough that we simply do things for Jesus. The second point is this, that, that a false sign of conversion is that people hide behind the things they do for Jesus. It is really very easy to become someone who just goes to church, who finds a way to serve, who tries to do good things, and ultimately says, hey, look, I do all these things for Jesus. One question that I often ask people, and it's kind of an outdated question, and, and I think it works for some people. It's not, I wouldn't ask this question to someone like who I meet on the golf course, but, but to someone who comes to church, to someone who thinks they're a Christian, I would usually ask them this question. Hey, if you were to die tonight and go stand before the Lord and Jesus were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? And it's actually pretty startling how many times I hear more or less, I tried really hard. I did a lot of good things because I worship God. Do you see like, it's the same answer that these people are saying. Lord, I got to get into heaven because man, look at all the things that I did for you. I gave a lot of money. I served a lot of time. Man, like, if anyone gets to say this, like, man, I devoted my life to ministry. Do you know how many sermons I preached to those kids who never paid attention? Not you, though, right? <laughs> and it's very, very easy to kind of build your faith off of the things that you do for Jesus. If I can just give you even an application in my own life, one of the most beautiful things about the gospel that I need to remember, that Christian ministry is not primarily what I do for Christ, but it's what Christ has done for me. That the joy of the gospel is that Christ loves me. And it's not that he expects me to be someone. And so one of the things that's very tempting for most religious people to do is to kind of prop up their own righteousness by saying, look at the things that I do. Some people in this passage think that there are people who lie about the miraculous things, that Jesus here is talking about people who ultimately kind of, kind of claim they do miraculous things, but they don't. But, but here's the thing I would say. Don't think that just because someone has done a lot of things for God that they actually, truly know Christ. It's hard to believe, but I've seen some of the world's best and brightest Bible teachers walk away from the faith. I've seen people who I would never in a million years think that they were faking it. In fact, they were. 
And I don't know how true this is, but someone once told me that when we get to heaven one day, we'll be surprised at who makes it and we'll be surprised on who doesn't make it. You know, there are going to be people who we write off like, oh, that person's not a Christian. And we get to heaven, we're like, oh, wow. They did believe. And then we're going to get to heaven and we're going to say, that person, they were faking it the whole time. Do you understand how this passage is a huge warning? You could be a missionary who devote your whole life to following Christ and you have all the right degrees and you believe all the right things and still when you die, you will hear the words, I don't know who you are. Christian life is not primarily about what we do for Christ. What is it primarily about? What he has done for us. Like the gospel is never, never first about what we do. It is always first about grace, about what Christ has done for us. And this leads us to our third false sign of conversion. A false sign of conversion is someone who does not depart from sin. Look at verse 23 again. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Um, lawlessness is just another term for sin. It's a, um, breaking the law, right? The law of God, the standard of God. What's interesting here is every single one of us breaks God's law, right? We all sin. So Jesus here is clearly not talking about every single person because if he were, we are all hopeless. We all at times, even as Christians, Sin. So what Jesus must mean here is this, that the people who make a continual, habitual effort into sin never actually knew Christ. One of the things, again, that is so shocking to me is how people can be living with a boyfriend or a girlfriend who can be um, stealing, who can be um, living a life of just wild, sensual living, drinking, living for yourself, greed, unchecked, selfish ambition, no desire to fight sin, but they say, oh yeah, I believe in that stuff. I believe in that stuff. And then guys, listen, Part of what we have to understand what Jesus is saying here, he's not saying that it's because of the people who, who are really good and do all the right things that they get to be in heaven. But what Jesus is teaching here is that part of being a kingdom citizen is someone who truly has an appetite for righteousness, who is pure in heart, who doesn't look at the sin and just enjoy it. A true Christian, what do they do? They mourn over their sin. They're, they realize their sin. They're, they are someone who tries to come before God and, and pray with humility. That they, that they recognize that, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And they, and they run from this sin. Someone in the kingdom of God is someone who's trying to point everyone back towards their heavenly Father. Someone who's going to fast and pray and watch and wait and be salt and light, who takes this word very, very seriously. But yet somehow it gets communicated, raise your hand, say a prayer, do a few Christian things, 
and you're good. And Jesus says, here's the warning for you. If you think that because once you said a prayer at a Christian camp, or because that one time you had those real strong feelings when you sang that song and you got that inspirational feeling and the, and the hair is stuck up in the back, that doesn't mean anything. As a matter of fact, the best advice I can give you is don't trust your religious feelings as a good indicator that you truly know Christ. What we have to be aware of, guys, listen, is that every single one of you guys, listen, myself included, we are so prone to self-deception. We will convince ourselves of anything that we can claim faith in Christ but walk in darkness. We can say that we follow Jesus but serve the foul adversary. That we can say that we are being fitted for heaven while living for this world. That we can say that we are walking in the light but... In reality, we are in utter darkness. Jesus says, these people, they'll come to me with good theology. They'll come to me with successful ministries. Look at all the churches they planted. Look at all the converts they've seen. Look at all the times they've helped little kids. Look at all the times they've been kind. But here's the thing. Jesus says, they're just workers of lawlessness. So where does the rubber meet the road for us? Part of, I, I, part of me, when I read this passage, there's always a little bit of like a gut check. Like, oh no, am I one of these people? I'm doomed. Like, I'm, I'm probably one of these people. I'm gonna get there and Lord, Lord, right? Is Jesus trying to like throw a bunch of shade and doubt into our hearts and no one should ever have assurance of salvation ever again. You should always doubt it. How much working of lawlessness can I have before I feel confident that I'm not one of these people? And this is where, guys, we must be careful to, to take the warning seriously and to really have some self-reflection in our hearts, but also to find hope in Christ. To find hope in Christ. At the end of the day, there's two things I think we should take away from this passage. First is this, responding to the gospel is always a response of both faith, belief, and repentance. As listen, if you say you believe but don't repent from your sins and don't follow Christ and aren't learning to, to, to trust him more and more, all you are doing is mental assent. The way we respond to Christ is by saying, yes, I believe this is true, and the demonstration of that belief is I'm going to turn and follow him. That I will be someone who lives in this kingdom or to the best of my ability, I'm gonna be salt and light. I'm gonna use this word. I'm gonna follow Christ. I'm gonna turn away from all the evil things. I will not be deceived into thinking that I can say I believe it, but continue to walk in sin. Faith and repentance. Do not be guilty 
of being someone who says you believe these things, but not turning from your sin. And the second thing I would say we should take away from this passage is to find all of our confidence of our salvation in Christ. Guys, here's the thing. No one has perfect theology. No one has ever served enough that would make a difference for Christ, right? No one has ever had a righteous enough life for them to feel confident of. And so ultimately, guys, the more we look into ourselves to try to find this confidence and assurance, the more we're going to find the lack of confidence. And so what should we do? Look at verse 26. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. What we should do is to go to Christ again and again and again. Trust in his provision, the righteousness that he gives you by faith. Trust that he took your sins. Trust that he is a good savior. Trust that following him, although it may be hard, although it may cost you, is worth it. Trust that his word is true. Trust in the promises. Trust knowing and believing that Christ's heart for you is more than you could ever comprehend. And so ultimately, guys, listen, like there, there's nothing in my, in my ministry that I care more about than seeing young people truly coming to know and love Jesus for who he is in the gospel. I, I don't, personally, I don't care so much that people come into this room and they have a good time and they make some friends. I'm not against that. I love chilling. I, I love making friends. That's good stuff. But if that's all we are doing here, we are wasting our time. There's a wide path and there's a narrow path. And not only are there false teachers along the way, there is our own hearts that are trying to self-deceive us into thinking that a simple confession of faith is good enough. It's not. It's not. Turn to Christ. Believe and repent. Follow him, trust him, and look to him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that ultimately our salvation is not found in ourselves. And Lord, I know some of us, we may be challenged and convicted uh, over this passage, but Lord, I pray that any challenge conviction would be met with the sweet balm of the gospel, that ultimately we know that our righteousness is in Christ. Help us, Lord, to avoid and evade any notion of Christianity that would simply just have mental assent or any, any form of Christianity that thinks that because we do things for you, that you will love us more. And Lord, help us to evade any thought or idea that we can have faith but not also have good works. And so, Lord, every single day, help us to continually repent again and again and again. Help us to, again, every single day, trust in the provision there is in Christ, that he has paid for all of our sins. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help these students to grow up into maturity, that they would take 
this faith that they have, Lord, and that they would toil in their hearts, that they would trust your word, that they would pray, that they would follow you. And Lord, I pray that as they continue to feast on Christ, that they would grow to be trees that yield fruit in season and out of season. God, we pray all these things for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.